you would have heard of Michael Plaxton, my, my first guest, maybe not by name, but he is a forensic video analyst with the Hamilton Police. Uh, you would have certainly heard about his work during the Bosma trial. He was the expert who was working, doing all the testimony on the surveillance tapes of the trucks going back and forth and all those kind of things. Now, as it turns out, he finds himself as a sleuth in one of the great stories in wartime history. As I said a moment ago, the raising of the flag at Iwo Jima was a photo taken by Associated Press photographer Joe Rosenthal. It won a Pulitzer Prize, and it is, I think, inarguably the most famous, most iconic photo in wartime history, and probably would be in the top three or four pictures, iconic pictures in U.S. history, period. We we don't have time to get into what else might be in that list, but it is right up there. It is the image of the Marines raising the flag, and you know exactly what I'm talking about. question is, who were the men in it? Well, for close to 70 years, we have been told who they were. Now, you and I probably don't really know the names all that well. It doesn't really matter to us. But one of them was identified as John Bradley, a guy who went on to write the book Flag of Our Fathers, which then was made into a movie by Clint Eastwood. He acted in a bunch of movies, one with John Wayne, about this. But was he really there? Michael Plaxton, forensic video analyst with the Hamilton Police, joins me now. Michael, thanks for doing this tonight. You're welcome, Scott. Pleasure to be here. So let's start right at the beginning here. You are a guy, as I said off the top, you do this kind of work as an expert to testify in court to help the police break down crimes. How do you suddenly end up getting asked to take a look at this photo, which really has nothing to do with your day-to-day work? Well, I I do have a consulting company that I operate uh, on my own time um, outside of my police duties, and I received a call last fall from a documentary film company in the States uh, that asked me if I uh, would uh, be able to take the time to do an analysis of some historic photographs. Uh, They were kind of cagey. They didn't tell me exactly what photographs until after we'd... uh, talked back and forth, but yeah, uh, it ended up being the uh, flag raising on Mount Suribachi uh, on Iwo Jima. So, and you've, you've seen this photo a million times. We all have. You're very familiar with this photo. Absolutely. It's one of my favorite photos of all time because it's always struck me as perhaps compositionally uh, almost perfect. It's mm. a beautiful photograph in and of itself. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what did they actually ask you then to do? What was your task in this? was uh, uh, to um, confirm the identity of John Bradley or not uh, in the photograph. So that was task number one, uh, which is the first thing that I did. And uh, in the course of my analysis, I determined that the person that they had identified as John Bradley in the photograph actually is not him at all. It's a person that they had identified um, as a man named uh, Frank Sousley, who is in the, in the photograph, in the position that John Bradley uh, supposedly was. But Frank Sousley was identified as being the, the uh, soldier directly behind um, John Bradley. Okay, so when you're getting to do this now, you're looking at this picture. You know the picture, but you pull it up on your computer screen to take a much closer look at it. Do you start the process by setting out to prove something or to discover something? Are you starting from the position that 
that is John Bradley and until I say otherwise? Or are you starting from the position of saying, I don't know who any of these people are. I'm going to start from scratch and identify these people from what I can learn. You start from scratch. It's very much uh, a forensic examination is very much like a scientific experiment. So when the police or uh, a defense attorney says to me, well, I believe this is so-and-so in the picture, um, the, the way I go about it is through the scientific method, which is to try and prove that it's not. And if I can't prove that it's not, then maybe it is. In the case of John Bradley, however, um, I began by renaming him as my unknown subject number one and treated him as though I had no idea who he was, and then began analyzing some known pictures of him from that day. And the irony of all this, of course, is that the one person that you are trying to identify, I would suggest, of all the men who are involved in the picture at Iwo Jima, is probably the one who not only is the most famous, but is now, over the years, most identifiable with the photo. I'm sorry, I have to correct you. It was actually his son, James Bradley, who wrote the book, okay. uh, Flags of Our Fathers. Okay. And it was about his, his father, John Bradley, but you're absolutely correct. Uh, in, uh, in the States, his is uh, perhaps the m- most recognizable uh, next to Ira Hayes. The third survivor uh, was a man named René Gagnon. His name is not so well known. But, of course, the three of them became quite famous because after uh, Iwo Jima, they were back home to participate in a rally. So one of the challenges, I would think, Michael, as you're starting to set out to try and do this, is that, again, if people look at the picture closely, this is not a head-on shot. You don't have a clear picture of their faces. In fact, most of them, you either can't really see their face or it's so dark, so shady that you can maybe see a silhouette, but not really any features. So how do you start to figure out who's who? Well, first of all, for me, that's actually one of the most beautiful things about this photograph is that I can't see who they are. Uh, but the way I went about it was actually to look at their at John Bradley's uniform and the equipment he was carrying, because... You know, as a veteran myself, I know that we all have identical uniforms, but the way that we wear them and the way we uh, hang our kit about us uh, can be quite distinctive. So that's where I started with uh, my my unknown subject that had been identified as John Bradley. And also, they would have been this. They didn't just sort of roll out of the uh, the new store with new uniforms. These would have been battered and beaten from the the, the fighting they've been going through. Yes, at the point that they uh, raised the flag, they'd uh, been fighting for four straight days and nights. Um, so those uniforms, uh, absolutely, uh, things were damaged, uh, clothing was ripped, uh, and, and those are all sort of unique characteristics that help us to uh, identify one soldier from another, even though we can't make out their faces. Okay, but Michael, when you're looking now for these small details on the uniforms, because you can't see the faces, you're looking for little tiny things, we are not talking about modern photographic equipment that might have, you know, millions or hundreds of thousands of pixels in the picture. Is the picture clear enough that it's actually easy to start finding these small details? Actually, it is, because the cameras back in those days the negatives were four by five, four inches by five inches, very large. And when you scan a negative of that size, you get an incredibly 
uh, detailed uh, pictures. So uh, as far as the still images taken uh, by a number of photographers that were present that day, uh, there was a lot of detail that could be made out. All right, so how long are you now looking at this and studying this and studying other pictures, I guess, other material, until you actually realize, um, yeah, that's not necessarily the guy that they've said it is? How long did that take? Um, it, it, it's very unusual. It actually, truly, it only took me perhaps five minutes. Really? Yes, uh, because the disparities between... The person identified as John Bradley in the uh, in the picture and the known photographs that I had of John Bradley's were so different uh, that it was immediately apparent that this couldn't be the same person. But then, of course, the you know the devil is in the details. It took me uh, quite a lot of time to go through every single detail and point it out, just like I would in a in a trial. You, you point out every single thing, and so that was quite time-consuming. Michael, is this, I mean, honestly, as much as this may sound silly, you've probably seen in kids' magazines, they have those two pictures that are side-by-side, side and you have to circle, like, the five or the ten things that are different. Is that basically what you're doing? Um, the part of my job that involves uh, comparison work, that's absolutely it. In fact, not too long ago, I, I sent out an email to some of my colleagues saying this is... Uh, this is comparison work identified, and I attached to it the Muppet song. One of these things, <laughs> yeah. And yeah, you're exactly right. It's it's just a grown up game that's a little more serious and a little more complicated of saying what's different here than there. Okay, so when you're looking at this picture now, you're looking at these men who are raising the flag at Iwo Jima, and you see the man who is supposed to be John Bradley. What was the thing that immediately jumped out? What was the identifier that you first said that's not right? Congress was that John Bradley was a medical corpsman, and so the kit that he wore, and which you can see in the photographs from that day, is significantly different uh, from the kit of the individual that they identified as uh, him. So the the soldier in the picture, who I eventually identified as Frank Sousley, is wearing a cartridge belt and a grenade launcher, um, wire cutters. Uh, and a few other details. He has two canteens, not one. Uh, so the there's there's uh, no reason for a corpsman to be wearing that sort of equipment. Um, John Bradley uh, wore something called a Unit Three, which were two really large uh, sort of saddlebags with all of his medical gear. And he was issued a sidearm. He didn't carry a rifle, and so he would have no need of a cartridge belt and. And, and certainly not a grenade launcher. So just looking at the pictures of him from earlier in the day, I think about two hours earlier, uh, it immediately jumps out that, that um, the clothing is completely different between the two, uh, the, the, the two different views. So disproving that it's him, I would guess, is the easy part or the easier part. But now trying to figure out who that person actually is becomes more challenging. How then... Because you've got, presumably, dozens or maybe hundreds of other people that it could be. How do you then find out who the person is? Um, well, what was very helpful to me was I had a, um, a digitized copy of a 16-millimeter uh, film that was taken when they did raise the flag. And so I was able to go uh, frame by frame, uh, 
from a minute or two before to a minute or two after. And I basically followed the man who was identified as John Bradley until he was standing in a position at the bottom of the flagpole. And I also had in the collection of photographs they sent me a still photograph taken by uh, a fellow named Lowry, who was a Marine Corps uh, photographer, and he had taken a photograph right at that point. And in his photograph, you can see the face of the individual, and you can see that uh, I did a, a facial comparison between that individual and John Bradley, and it did not match. And then I compared it to a known image of Frank Sousley, and it matched perfectly. Um, so that told me right away, okay, this is not John Bradley, this is Frank Sousley. And the problem then, now that we've made that identification, is, well, if that's not John Bradley, but it's Frank Sousley, then who is the guy that they identified as Frank Sousley? So now we had a true mystery on our hands, because now we knew that there was a person there that nobody knew who the heck he was. And how do you do that? Well, again, I turned to the 16-millimeter film, and now I'm dealing with my true unknown subject, number two. And again, I walked it through frame by frame until that person, that unknown person, after the flag was raised, he walked towards the camera. We can't see his face because the details are too obscure, but what immediately we could see is there were two things about him that were very unusual. One was that his helmet liner strap was broken, and it's hanging down right in front of his face, swinging back and forth. must have been incredibly annoying for him. And the second thing is he seemed to have a lot of trouble keeping his rifle on his shoulder. And uh, I asked about how the sling on the rifle works from a, a Marine Corps uh, advisor that I was in touch with, and I discovered that the rifle wasn't properly slung. So now I had two sort of unique features to go through, and then it just became a very long process of elimination by locating still photographs that were taken of each and every man that was on top of the mountain that day. And only one person had uh, those two particular uh, unique characteristics, and that was a guy named Harold Schultz. Who was, I can't remember now where I read that, where was he from? He was from not far from here, actually, as I understand. Um, Harold Schultz, uh, I can't remember exactly where he was from, but he lived the majority of his life in California okay. after the war. I thought it was um, upstate New York or Michigan or something that he was yeah, originally from. Like that, perhaps upstate New York. Yeah. Uh, and also, once I, once I found those two uh, characteristics, I found some other things about him, the equipment he was carrying and and so on and so forth, and, and he had quite a lot of damage to his equipment. He must have seen uh, quite a lot of action coming up the mountain. His, hmm. uh, the the um, cover on his helmet was torn, his uniform was torn and scuffed everywhere, and everywhere I looked it was match for match for match. Wow. And um, when you look at all of the photographs, uh, the known ones of him, and you look at the picture of the fellow, uh, that comes away from that flag raising, there's absolutely no doubt in your mind that you're looking at Harold Schultz. Michael, we just have a minute or so left here, but you are an expert witness. You have testified, as I said, you testified in the Bosma trial under oath. Are you confident enough with what you found out that if you had to have been under oath to testify to this, that you're sure who these people are now? 100%. There's no doubt in my mind at all. 
one of the oddities about maybe not the wrong word is oddity. Um, on the one hand, you get to now share or through your work, the family of Schultz gets to learn that he really was part of this seminal moment in American history, which has to be startling and pretty thrilling for them, I would think. Yes. The, the flip side is for John Bradley's family, the what what they've believed has been his story now for years turns out not to be true. And I got to think that like that, that would to telling them that would be like telling Abraham Zapruder's family that he didn't really take the video of Kennedy's assassination or something like it's just ingrained. That has to be kind of almost painful to discover this for them, knowing what it's going to mean to them. I, I'm, I'm sure it was. I, I wasn't there to meet um, his wife who is still alive. Um, uh, as I understand it, she took the news very well, and James Bradley as well. Uh, once he was shown the evidence, agreed that uh, that that was not his father in the picture. But you know, truly, this is something that for seventy years has been part of their family. Right, right. Are you shocked that Schultz never? It sounds like never actually talked about this. I mean, if this happened today, there is no chance someone is not getting on social media and saying, "Look what I did." I mean, the guys who were involved in the in killing Osama bin Laden before long were out there saying, "Hey, I was part of this." Are you shocked that it that he apparently never said anything about this? No, because I consider that the time that they lived in, a lot of men who fought in the war were reluctant to talk about it. They were unassuming men, and from everything I've heard about Harold Schultz, he was very much a loner, uh, very unassuming, and even shy. He only has one uh, surviving relative, that's his stepdaughter. He didn't even get married until he was 60. Hmm. Um, what his reasons were for never claiming... Uh, that is is pure speculation, same as it's pure speculation for why uh, it was never, John Bradley never came forward. Um, there are dozens of explanations. I've run them all through my head, and uh, we'll just, you know, Scott, we'll just never know. That's right. That's one of the, yeah, part of the mystery is going to remain. This was all done for a documentary, I understand, that is actually showing this weekend. Where Where can people or when can people see it? Do you know? The documentary is airing on the Smithsonian Channel uh, at 9 o'clock Sunday. Perfect. My, the only thing I'm not 100% sure of is, is I hope it's on Smithsonian. the Canadian channel, uh, Smithsonian. It looks like it is. Uh, but, yeah, it should air at 9 o'clock Sunday night. Michael Plaxton, fascinating, fascinating story. Great work, uh, obviously, on the Bosma trial. That went uh, the way everybody wanted it, and, and fantastic work on this as well. Just a great, great, really interesting story. Thanks for doing this. Well, thanks for inviting me to talk about it, Scott. It's been a real pleasure.